The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. I don't know about John Gibbons for a presenter of the Late Late Show, but an environment spot on the programme every week, John, mightn't be a bad idea, would it? Well, certainly a, a thought, Matt. I think it's it's a show. Obviously, it's been an icon in Irish broadcasting for forever. But it has it. It really has. I, I can honestly, I could list out the number of times over the last say twenty years that it has gone within an ass's roar of the subject. And I think it's caught somewhere between that light entertainment and that serious thing. I think they couldn't quite figure out what to do with it. And who who knows? Maybe maybe a uh, tis yourself is the the, the 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 lead contender at the moment. So I'm hoping <laughs> I'm hoping this last couple of years of Only working on. The people in the studio, yeah. John. <laughs> well, I'm hoping, as I said, all this work I've been doing with you here over the last couple of years will tee you up to be the perfect uh, sort of climate savvy uh, late, late presenter. Oh, Matt. Good man, John. Thank you. Listen, let's talk first of all this week about sustainable aviation fuel because I think a lot of people see this, you know, as possibly the future uh, to make long haul travel, short haul travel acceptable again. Except Everything I've heard about it, it just doesn't strike me that we're anywhere near it. That it's just not possible to make this stuff cheaply enough to replace the engine fuel that we use. Yeah, I mean, it's a real challenge. I mean, let's start, say, with where we are at the moment with biofuels, right? Across the EU at the moment, we, we about nine and a half million hectares of land. This is prime agricultural land across Europe, which, Matt, is an area larger than the island of Ireland, is already given over to biofuels. Now, most of that fuel is going into these so-called E5, E10 mixes. Now, what that means when you see E10 on your pump, it basically means that 10% of your petrol is basically mixed through with biofuel. Now, that biofuel is made from these energy crops like poplar, miscanthus, willow and so on. So, in theory, uh, on rapeseed oil as well, in theory, uh, What's the upshot of that? Eamon Ryan, for example, uh, has just signed through uh, a European regulation which will come into effect appropriately enough, I think, on the 1st of April of this year, which increases uh, uh, Irish petrol from E5 to E10. So we're doubling the amount of biofuel. But we're using 10 million hectares of agricultural land. Now, there's an awful lot better things we can do with that agricultural land. Two things for starters. Number one, we can feed people. And number two, if we're not going to use it for feeding people, we need it to give that land back to biodiversity. Now, you've talked about sustainable aviation fuel, Matt. This is, if you like, the the next frontier. So there was a report published earlier this week uh, on sustainable aviation fuel uh, by the, I think it's the aircraft leasing industry here in Ireland. They're looking at it because obviously a lot of aircraft are nominally registered as being in Ireland, so they see it as something here. They're also looking for government support on it. But essentially, what they don't really get into is saying, what exactly are we going to do? How many more millions of hectares are we going to divert from food production, feeding people and also nature protection and biodiversity to basically feeding aircraft? Because the, the amounts, the, the quantities of fuel, Matt, we're talking about here are absolutely enormous. So it isn't a case of saying, you know, we can run a few hectares. Now, there was some interesting calculations, by the way, done on this. And for example, if you take that 9.6 million hectares that I talked about for the biofuels, now... If we instead powered, instead of putting that as biofuel into petrol cars, if we instead uh, put the same equivalent amount of power into electric cars, it would use 40 times less land. In other words, if you had solar panels or wind, they'd use 40 times less land, Matt, than is required for biofuel. So to me, biofuel sounds like a a solution, if you like, to which there is no known problem. They're basically, it's solutionism. 
it's basically purporting or, or pushing the idea that we can fix this by simply doing more of stuff. Now, what's missing from the report that was published this week is any indication of limits. Now, the UK Royal Society, by the way, published a report in February and they looked at this and they said, right, if in Britain we wanted to move towards sustainable aviation fuel, the impact in Britain would be 50% of the entire agricultural land of the island of Britain would need to be handed over just for aviation fuel, Matt. Now, this is a complete impossibility. It's nonsense. It's, it's a nonsense. It's a flight of fantasy. And I think what I'm concerned about is, first of all, this is what this is basically is a get out of jail free card for the aviation industry. I hear people like Michael O'Leary talking about sustainable aviation fuel. The other phrase they like to talk about is uh, net zero by 2050 and basically means net zero years after I'm long gone. That's all it means. So I think we need to be super careful with biofuels and not be distracted into thinking that we can, you know, turn tens of millions of hectares of productive agricultural land or indeed land that we need for biodiversity and climate protection and simply pour it into cars and pour it into aircraft. It's essentially, it's more of the same and an incredibly dangerous solution. Okay, you want to talk about toxic toilet paper. Are you taking the piss here? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, now, now. We'll, we'll, we'll keep this clean. We start off, first of all, I mean, I guess maybe it's the nature of, of people that our impacts, whatever we do as a species, we tend to do it on a grand scale. To give you an example, every day about 270,000 trees are cut down just for toilet paper production. That's about 100 million trees a year. So it's a massive sector with huge impacts. Also, you know that nice, shiny, comfy white That is uh, the addition of a thing called chlorine in the bleaching process. That's why you get the nice white paper. So when you put all this together, essentially there's huge impacts from toilet paper. Now, you might well be asking me the question, well, what's the alternative, Matt? Uh, I'm not really sure. This is the problem. This is... This is really not so much saying there's particular alternatives, but rather saying that it's it's about human impacts. But specifically, uh, what has come up from a study that was published earlier this week, is that there are substances called PFAS, that's P-F-A-S. These are otherwise known as the forever chemicals. And these are uh, persistent chemicals that have now been found. The the study looked at, uh, I think, 21 major brands of toilet papers in North America, Europe, Africa, and so on. And they found that all of the brands of toilet paper, even the recycled toilet paper, were contaminated with PFAS. Now, for those people who don't know it, PFAS, basically, these forever chemicals, they're linked to thyroid disease, breast cancer, kidney cancer, testicular cancer, obesity, miscarriage, uh, and, uh, and related conditions. Now, it's reckoned in Europe that the, the health costs associated with exposure to these PFAS are somewhere between 50 and 85 billion dollars, or sorry, billion euros a year in the European Union. Worldwide, it runs into hundreds of billions of dollars. These products, by the way, are all around us. And this is really the point. Uh, for example, some of your audience may have seen the, the movie Dark Waters with Mark Ruffalo in, in 2019. And this was a, a reconstruction of a, of a true story of a contamination incident, a really serious contamination incident that was traced back to the, manufa- the chemical manufacturer DuPont. Uh, and basically, they were essentially there in the manufacturing of Teflon. They were using these uh, forever chemicals that were accumulating and basically poisoning people through the water system. So what we know from this new study this week is that even in our toilet paper, we, ha- we now are finding PFAS contamination. Now, the question is, how does it get there? 
And the study reckons that the chemicals are being used in the manufacturing process and also in, for example, in the lubricants on the machinery that are actually producing the, the, the chemicals. What PFAS are particularly good at is, is they're, they're what's called hydrophobic. They're water repellent. So, for example, if you wear a nice Gore-Tex waterproof outdoor jacket, that is basically its secret ingredient are PFAS, these forever chemicals. And these are basically ending up in the waterways. They're bioaccumulating in humans and in plants and in animals. And I suppose, Matt, as the name suggests, forever chemicals, we're, we're stuck with them. Just one brief one, and this seems very counterintuitive. I have a note here to say that you want to talk about how cleaner air can lead to warmer seas. Yeah, it's a funny one. Basically, what's happened is the the International Maritime Organization from 2020, they have basically uh, instructed the the marine industry to clean up its act because up until 2020, your typical ship, these would be sort of uh, transport ships and also um, uh, cruise ships, they use a a really super dirty fuel mat called bunker fuel. So essentially, it's a a really low-grade diesel that's high in sulphur content. Now, people will remember sulphur from... uh, from, from the 1970s and the 1980s when it came down on top of us as in the form of acid rain. And essentially that was because the sulphur was released from coal-fired plants, say uh, here in Ireland, in Britain, and it created acid rain. So the sulphur basically is released when you burn coal, it's released when you burn uh, dirty diesel, and it comes back down again in that form. Anyway, what's important here is that as they've as we're beginning to clean up our marine sulphur, well, first of all, it's got some very good effects. At the moment, it's reckoned that pollution, Matt, just from shipping, kills about 400,000 people worldwide a year. And it's also attributable to about 14 million asthma cases. So it's a huge uh, health hazard. So as they reduce the levels of sulphur uh, in shipping, we reckon that they'll save about 140,000 uh, lives a year from doing it. But the, the sting in the tail is that sulphur in both shipping and also in coal-fired plants, for example, in Asia and the Far East, is actually a global cooling gas. What it does is it uh, distributes sunlight and it thickens clouds. So it, so the effect globally of the sulphur that we're, we're pumping out through pollution from marine transport and from older uh, coal-fired plants in India, in Pakistan, in China, is that it reckoned it contributes about half a degree of global cooling. So it's one of the great ironies that this pollutant that kills people is actually keeping a lid on global cooling. So studies are being... Global warming. Oh, sorry, on global warming. Studies are under, underway at the moment to, to try and look at the effect of it. And the issue really here is that this is happening but predominantly in the northern hemisphere because most of the shipping lanes, if you look at your atlas, are in the northern hemisphere, principally between Europe and America, between America uh, and Asia on the other side. And therefore, this concentration of a reduction of sulphur means that we can expect in the northern hemisphere a warming spike and that unfortunately means more and more dangerous weather uh, more weather extremes in in the years ahead fascinating john gibbons thank you very much the last word with matt cooper weekdays from 4 30 today FM.